So this Sunday, we begin a series uh, called Detox. And uh, I don't know about you, but I always come off holidays really feeling like, and I've been feeling it for the last several weeks, um, the need to kind of detox from all of the food, all the stuff that I consumed through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And uh, it takes a while to purge your house of all those things. Um, we still have even Christmas trees up. The women that came over yesterday to our house for the, for the brunch, it was like, yeah, you know, I mean, hey, we're not rushing things, right? I told you, it's, we're slowing down. I mean, you know, we didn't get those suckers up until right before Christmas. So um, anyway, uh, so we're just letting it, you know, letting it ride a little bit. But by definition, detoxification is a process where we rid our bodies. And in this case, I'm going to add our hearts, our minds, and our spirits of, of toxic or unhealthy substances. So I think the new year is a perfect time for us to make some changes. And, and, and that's what I'm going to challenge us to look at in these next couple of weeks is some changes that we can make. But different than resolutions, a lot of times when we make resolutions, we just are kind of like, we're just kind of taking stabs in the air, you know, at things that we think that we maybe change. Well, I just, I need to drop 20 pounds or I need to, I don't, and we don't, a lot of times we go after it. We don't have a goal. We don't have a plan. We just say, well, I want to make this change. And then by, it's probably by Valentine's Day. By about Valentine's Day, the middle of February, it's like a majority of us have already dropped off from the resolutions that we made for the year. Um, if you, we're going to talk about making some changes that are very intentional and, and having a, a plan attached to those things. And we're not, I'm not asking you to think about making a lot of changes. These don't even have to be big changes. In fact, I think we've got to recognize that sometimes just making minor adjustments and changes in the way in which we live our life can have huge impact on us. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Proverbs, and we're going to get there in a few moments. But before we do, uh, before we look at Proverbs together, let me, let me tell you something. If you ever go before a parole board, okay, um, you can jump over to that thinking. If you, go, if you ever go before a parole board, um, I, I hope that you don't ever have to do so. But if you do, you might be surprised to find that the predisposition of the judge may have less bearing on your success than the scheduled time of your hearing, okay? So a few years ago, the National Academy of Sciences, they published a study involving 112 judicial rulings over a 10-month period, and they, they found some interesting things out. The study found that 65% of parole judges granted freedom to the first prisoner who appeared before them that day, regardless of the crime that they had committed. It didn't matter what crime they had committed, but by the end of the morning session, though, the chance of parole dropped to nearly zero. Then when the judges came back for, from lunch, the first prisoner right after lunch, again, the percentage jumped up to 65%. But as the day wore on, it declined to almost zero again. So that's really interesting data. The question is why? And authors of this study, they cite something that they call decision fatigue. 
decision-making is a mental exercise, and just like physical exercise, we get worn out and we get tired. We fatigue over time. It's harder to make good decisions after making a lot of decisions. And, and part, of, uh, part of it is that we, we, lose some, we lose some willpower. Parents in here, you know what I'm talking about because we have every intention when we're starting the day. We're like, yeah. Um, and, and even like having, uh, you know, having a baby after a big gap, it's like, yeah, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do the TV and the tablet thing and, you know, and all of that. We're gonna do this differently, you know, because we've learned things and we're strong, you know. And parents start off that way. They all have the good intentions of like, I'm gonna limit the amount of time my kid spends in front of a digital device and, and all of that. And they have every intent to do that. But you revisit them at the end of the day and it's like, would you just take, take, some, take it? Take it, go away, you know, and watch something, right? Because you want to stop the madness somehow um, that is set in because decision fatigue has settled in on you. Let me give you an interesting example out of the Gospels. We, uh, if, you, if you remember the circumstances surrounding Jesus' arrest, the disciples scatter Peter denies Christ three times. So these are bad decisions, right? And I'm not letting the disciples off the hook from that. But let's back up and look at what happened before these bad decisions took place, right? Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you study your timeline, you know that probably it would have started uh, about, you know, when, at, at sundown. And uh, maybe that period of time lasted probably about a couple of hours. And at one point, Jesus says, couldn't you keep watch for an hour? And it says he came back, he found his disciples asleep, not once, but twice. Now, you're going to find this quite shocking. But as I look at this information, and I think about the fact that they fell asleep twice, I deduce from that that they were really tired, right? I'm a genius, but I'm not a genius. No, they were tired. They fell asleep twice. Obviously, something was going on, and these guys were already at a, at a point where they were pretty fatigued when it came to making decisions. And uh, judge, the, the point of this is that judges aren't exempt from, from decision fatigue. Disciples aren't exempt from it. And either are you, and either am, and either am I. Decision fatigue is real, and the ramifications are pretty profound for our everyday lives. According to one estimate, we make, on, on average, 35,000 decisions every day. 35,000 decisions every day, according to one estimate. The question is, how do we make good ones? How do we make the right decisions? And I think talking about detoxification, it begins with what is referred to as predecision. Predecision is the decision that you make before you have to make the decision. Now, I'm, now this, this might seem like uh, a little frivolous, but when you think about this, um, Steve Jobs characteristically wore like one outfit, right? Most of the time. He wore blue jeans, he wore uh, a black turtleneck, 
and he wore New Balance shoes. Why did he do that? Because his wife didn't pick out any other clothes for him? I don't know. He, he, he did that because it was one less decision that he had to make every day, and he wanted to free up more bandwidth for more important decisions. I actually really like this idea. Um, like, I'm, I'm wearing this flannel today, and, uh, and I, I like, I, I, Natalie bought this for me for Christmas. I was like, I like this flannel. They have more flannels going on at Old Navy, and she's like, yeah, there's different colors in that. I think I'm just going to line up the closet, you know, with flannels, and uh, during, this, during this season, at least, and that, and then I don't have to decide what I have to wear. Just, well, I'll wear the green one or the red one or whatever, you know. Um, but no, he did that for a reason because he wanted to be able to free up time. Time for other, th- other decisions, more important decisions. Let me say this up front to you, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. You are one decision away from a totally different life. You're one decision away from a totally different life, which is good news, right? It, that should be good news to you. And, and let, me just, let me describe that. Let me explain what I mean by Let me play that out a little bit. Joseph, from the Old Testament, made a predecision. After he was sold into slavery, he went to work for a man named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife uh, tried to seduce Joseph day in and day out. And if Joseph had not made a predecision that he was not going to sleep with a woman other than his wife, then having to make that decision at the moment over and over again, potentially he could have found himself in a place at one point with decision fatigue. That story could have gone a very different direction. But he had made a predecision and he stuck by that. Listen, if we wait to make a decision until you are in a tempting situation, then, you know, good luck. That, that might not go down well for you. You've got to make predecisions. Now, Joseph's predecision landed him in prison, but then he interpreted a dream, and he ended up being promoted by Pharaoh, and ultimately he ended up saving two nations from famine. And it started with a really good predecision that he made. Esther made a predecision. She decided to risk her life to plead for her people. And her predecision was if I go down doing this, then that's fine. Her, 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 her decision single handedly saved the Jewish people from genocide because her, predeci- her predecision was if I perish, I perish. Ruth made a predecision. She said to her mother-in-law, Naomi, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. And because of her predecision, if she wouldn't have decided that, she would never have met her kinsman redeemer. She would have never met Boaz. Boaz and Ruth got married. They had a son named Obed. That, uh, their son uh, had a son named Jesse. And he had a son named David. And then we have the lineage of Christ through that. I would tell you, and I would argue that that kingly lineage traces itself back to a really good predecision. And then there's Daniel. He makes a predecision not to defile himself with non-kosher food. You're like, 
is that really a big deal, you know, that you would challenge the king and, 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 and risk your, uh, you know, offending him and, and that for uh, kosher versus non-kosher? But it's a bigger deal than you think because it really became a matter of integrity for Daniel. And so he makes a predecision, and it sets him apart, and eventually it sets him up to become the second in command to the king of Babylon. And then there's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their predecision was that they would not bow before any idol, and the list goes on. So what I'm getting at this morning is that destiny is not a mystery. Destiny is a decision. In fact, it's like 35,000 decisions, you would say, in a day. But I think it's these predecisions that determine our destiny and ultimately the legacy that we leave behind us. I want to bring this down to earth and then kind of push that envelope a little bit. So the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, let's look at that together, verse 28. Proverbs 22, verse 28, it says this. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Now, you may be like, that's a strange verse to land on, you know, for us this morning. What does that have to do with what we're talking about? What is a boundary stone? Well, a boundary stone is a way in which the ancients established borders. They served as milestones. They identified where property lines would begin and when they would end. And so let me paint a picture of what that looks like. In, in 1791, Congress passed what they called the Resonance Act, authorizing President George Washington to establish the capital city. And the first boundary stone was placed at Jones Point on April 15, 1791. It established the beginning of the territory of Columbia. And then this began a two-year process of placing 40 boundary stones all the way around what would become Washington, D.C. They placed, uh, after they placed these stones, what they did was surveyors, they cleared a 20-foot path on either side of the land of that boundary line, and they placed a stone at one-mile intervals, and one side of that stone faced the capital city, and said, jurisdiction of the United States. And the side that faced the other direction either said jurisdiction of Virginia or Maryland. Now, four of these original stones have gone missing. 36 of them we still have. And they are actually exist as the oldest federal monuments um, that we have as a nation. They determine what is and what is not Washington, D.C., and in much the same way as surveyors cut a 40-foot path placing these boundary stones, we've got to look at establishing boundaries in our own lives. And a lot of that has to do with making predecisions. I'll give you a simple example. If you find yourself in an unhealthy relationship, either with a family member or with a friend, you've got to reestablish boundaries. Maybe you've got to establish boundaries. Maybe there weren't boundaries there ever. But if you don't do that, that relationship is going to turn into a codependency. 
all right? And maybe it's already gone to that. And codependency is letting somebody trespass on, your, on you emotionally or physically. So in order to take steps towards healthy relationships, sometimes you need to step back from the whole situation. You've got to survey what's going on. You've got to be able to identify the problem, and then you've got to clear a path, and then somehow you've got to reestablish new boundaries in that relationship for it to be healthy. We've got to do that across our lives. Now, as I zoom out from that, if you think about when God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments I talked today, uh, on Mount Sinai, what was he doing? I would suggest that he was placing boundary stones around human behavior. So do not have any gods before me. Honor your father and mother. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not commit adultery. On one side of those original stone tablets, you can imagine it saying, jurisdiction of the kingdom of God. On the other, maybe sin, right? Those Ten Commandments surveyed the boundary between what is right and what is wrong. And it's interesting because even people who don't um, ascribe to Judaism or Christianity, for the most part, a lot of people, regardless of their faith, still believe that the Ten Commandments are pretty good measures and boundaries for us to set up to live our lives. Now, let me make one note about this, though. I think that relativism is when we push those boundary stones further and further and further apart so that we no longer have a clear picture of what's right or wrong. On the flip of that, though, legalism is when we take those boundary stones and we push them closer and closer and closer and closer to where they no longer have their original intended meaning. I'll give you an example of this. The Pharisees, they had 39 rules and regulations as it related to the Sabbath alone, how to observe, observe the Sabbath. 39, just for that one thing. And, and it got super crazy. I mean, it started simple, but then it got way complicated to the point that, like, the, the rules and regulations started to contradict each other, um, and you didn't know what you could do. Like, things like, okay, on the Sabbath, you can only walk 2,000 cubits. I mean, yeah, specifically. 2,000 cubits, that's it. You cannot tie or untie a knot. You could not strike the final blow of a hammer. This is, you're like, what? And so you, you, they, these guys were, were pushing those boundary stones closer and closer together. And then Jesus shows up and he goes, what are you doing? The, 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 the Sabbath, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. You guys have turned these rules and regulations into legalistic practice. The Sabbath was made for man, not, the, not man for the Sabbath. And so if we implement too many rules and regulations, we go beyond the original intent, we move into legalism, and of course the opposite is true as well. So one, one other little caveat in this. Um, Jesus he actually moves some boundary stones uh, when he's on earth. 
during his, especially like when he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. I'll give you one example of that. In, on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, um, it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, which was a baseline way of executing justice in the Old Testament. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But then Jesus says, that's what, it, that's what we say, right? But I tell you, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other cheek. Okay, what's happening here? What is Jesus doing? Well, I think he's doing much like the surveyors did when they cut that 40-foot that 40 path to establish the boundaries of D.C. He's cutting a 40-foot path around what righteousness looks like, and he's putting a boundary stone in place. He's saying, this is us, okay? This is who we are and who we aren't. This is what we do and what we don't do. We are the people who love our enemies. We are the people who pray for those who persecute us. We are the people who turn the other cheek. We're the ones that go the extra mile. We are the people who love others the way in which we would want to be loved in return. Is that, is that making sense? Now, let's make, it, let's make this personal and practical. The question I have for you challenge I have for you is what boundary stones perhaps do you need to put back in place or what stones do you need to put in place that have never been established in your life and even even as we've been talking about this I imagine for for some folks it has pricked their consciousness is there a predecision that you need to make that you know it's not maybe even a big adjustment. Maybe it's a small decision and a choice to make, but it could pay big dividends towards you moving and growing towards greater health and relationship with the Lord in this coming year. So back in, back in 2006, um, when we were uh, pastoring in Iowa, I went on this retreat to Indiana with a group of leaders and, uh, and it was a really good leadership retreat. And while I was there, I remember praying and asking God, Lord, how can I have longevity in ministry? I've watched a lot of people, even at, even at that point in my life, I'd watched people that I'd started in ministry with that had already, like, bowed out. They'd burn out. They were done. And... Um, and that was really common to see is, is just pastors that either burned out or they made poor decisions that then disqualified them from ministry. And I wanted to know, what is it going to take? Because I've also seen a lot of good examples. I'm so thankful that I've been able to walk alongside people that e even some who have recently died, that they finished well. You know, it wasn't easy, but they finished well. And I look at those people and go, God, what do I need to do in order to be able to endure? And uh, God's response back to me is something that I continue to kind of use as, as measurement. Some, some years I, I do well with this, and some years I don't. And this is where I kind of want to challenge you. 
Um, because God really kind of brought it down to about four categories for me when it came to, okay, these are the things, these are the areas that you're going to need to grow in if you're going to have longevity um, in this race. And those four areas were physical, financial, spiritual, and then chronological, meaning how we order our time. Four categories of focus there. And, and these are the things I want us to kind of zoom in on, look at in a personal way as we kind of close up today. Uh, physical, financial, spiritual, and chronological. Physical, meaning our physical body. Why, why, would, why would we want to talk about that in church? Why, I mean, like, why am I going to stand here as your pastor and talk to you about the importance of taking care of your physical body. Because ultimately, we are stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And we are spirit before we are even body. And these bodies are a shell. They are a gift from God. Um, these bodies are, are corruptible. But we make decisions that, that can greatly affect that as well. And so diet and exercise are important things because it's about the stewardship of this body, how I'm taking care of it, right? And so, and again, like I said, there's been times I've done really well with this, and there's times when, when I haven't. 2006 was when God first put this in front of me. It was a whole five years later before I actually made a predecision and flipped the switch to do something to change that physical um, component in my life start running. And it was this time in 2011, this like, like January, when I made the decision uh, to run my first 5K in that. And yeah, I kept going along with that. I thankfully, I've been able to run two marathons. And then after that happened, I started to decline from that. And in this year, I've, I've put myself back in that place of making a predecision and saying, April 4th, I'm running the Bentonville Half Marathon on its 10-year anniversary. And, and that's, you know, over 13 miles of running. It's been a long time since I've done distance running like that. Um, that's my predecision. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, you don't get any of that stuff done without a plan and without following training. We can all have good intentions about changing things about our life, but if we don't put any kind of plan and walk alongside that plan and commit ourselves to the plan, we'll never reach the goals that we set. So like Natalie said, yesterday was a hard five-mile run. It really was. We ran separately. We often do because we run at different paces. It was hard for both of us. But I had to look back, too, and realize that, okay, um, I hate my running app because it always tells me I've logged enough runs that now everything is just slow. You know, it just tells me, it used to be exciting when it told me that I would have reached some goal I've never, never done before. Now it just reminds me that I'm old and slow and got fatter. Um, so they'll say things like, hey, this is your 110th fastest time at this pace. Or yesterday it was, this is your, I felt better. Yesterday it was like, hey, this is your 65th fastest time. I'm like, well, we're cutting it down. I mean, you know, that's, that's progression. Um, but no, I, I looked at my week and I realized that, okay, I up mileage. Two weeks ago, logged like seven miles. 
This last seven days, it was 17.6 miles. That's a big jump, you know, that you just put another 10 miles into your tank in that. So anyway, what I, the point I'm trying to make in that is that you cannot set goals. You cannot make predecisions for your health without a plan. It's important to exercise. It's important to look at what you put into your body um, because most of the time we just don't even have awareness of it. Most of the time we're just eating stuff, you know, and I don't think about what I'm eating except for that it tastes good. That's the only thing I care about. It tastes good. I don't care what's in it. Give it to me. More of it. And, um, and, and so I'm not, I'm not asking you to consider going on a diet. I'm asking you to say, okay, take a look at, on, on, from a physical side, God, how am I stewarding the body that you've given me? And if, if diet and exercise is a way of creating boundary stones around your physical life, then financially, ha- living off of a budget is a way of creating boundaries around your finances. Finances are like the number one uh, stressor in marital relationships and, and are at the heart of a lot of divorces in that. We need to make wise financial decisions. We need to, God intends for us to not be dominated by our, or, or stressed out or uh, um, crushed by finances. He wants us to learn to be able to use what he has given to us in a way so that we tell our money where to go instead of it telling us where to go. And, uh, and anybody who, who was part of, we had a large group that went through financial peace last year. We will continue to teach financial peace in here because it's super important. Ultimately, because we desire for you to be healthy individually and as a family and then as a church and then to, to bring that health into our community. Financially, living by a budget means that you are, are putting order and you're putting a plan. You're not just going out there and going, well, whatever happens, happens in this month. And that's what most of us do. We live pay, paycheck to paycheck. But living by a budget puts boundary stones in place. Okay, spiritually speaking, next week we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of dive into that particular component um, to talk about some tools and some things that we can put to practice to grow in our spiritual life. I told you last year, you know, last year we did this series called Godspeed. How do we slow down to catch up to where God is? How do we, by doing that, uh, grow in our love for him and our love for other people? And I said, listen, I don't want that to be a series. I believe God's put that in front of us because it's, it's to be part of the fabric as we have established an identity as a church, as a community of people in that, it's not just for now, it's for who he wants us to continue to be and how he wants us to continue to grow. That can't happen without us planning and making intentional, taking intentional steps, using intentional tools and disciplines to help us grow in our spiritual life, to slow down, to have awareness of the things that we need to, to not get distracted by the things of this world. And so I, one of the things that I've done this year is um, I like to journal, but I'm just not, like some people are really good doing that consistently. I have not been. I've just kind of been up and down. Now, you all gave me a journal 
for pastor appreciation, which I really, I love it. It's, it's fantastic. I carry it with me everywhere, and it's behind me. Um, I was like, where is it? Oh, it's behind me. Um, and so I'm like, I'm going to use this because um, that's what it was meant for. Uh, it's, it's a little tough, though. Like, I, I love how it looks, and it's super cool in that, and I love to carry it around. But I have, in, in recent years, I've really flipped over to being a digital guy. It's like I, I type way faster and I pack way faster on my phone with my thumbs than I do writing. But I made a decision that I wasn't just going to journal, but I was actually going to put, um, you know, ink to paper and do it that way. And I was telling Daniel before the service, I'm like, I felt like a caveman. Like, uh, like it was like I was relearning some sort of ancient art, you know. Like, I'm like, do I even remember how to write? And my hand's cramping, and I'm like... What is going on? And my penmanship is terrible, you know, and I'm like, and, and the journal they gave me, which is great because I like this, it doesn't have any lines, you know, which is kind of cool because, again, it's just kind of like, oh, it's not restrictive, man, I can go anywhere. But I also am like, what is, yeah, so I have found that, like, if you don't, I mean, think about that for a minute, and we are, like, raising a whole generation of people that I, I think they're, they're going to all write like doctors, you know, and their signature, just terrible. So, um, but one other thing I noticed is, yeah, it takes a little bit longer for me to do it, but I also process differently. I think you process things differently, uh, you know, from your, from your mind to the, you know, when, when you're writing versus just typing it out. And, uh, and so it causes me to slow down. I have to slow down a little bit, even in that practice. Um, but that's one of the things that I'm doing this year intentionally to try to grow in that category of, of, of my spiritual life. Next week, I, I will share with you um, some more tools and resources that, um, that I want to put in front of you and challenge you with that I think will help in this area. And then chronologically, chronologically, you're, it, it, you know, we're talking about time and we're talking about our calendar right? What does it look like to put boundary stones or make pre-decisions about our time? Well, again, time is something that is a gift that we're given, and we are called to steward that, meaning we're called to put that time to good use, that we have choices to make that either um, make our time effective and useful or waste it. Same with money, same with our bodies, Right? Same with, our, same with our souls in the way of our spirituality. So when we're talking about our calendar and we're talking about our time, we're talking about building margin for things that are important. So many times if we were to go around and ask families what is the most important thing to them, but then we were to look at how they spend their time, they wouldn't always line up. Like we'll say that our kids are the most important. But then we sometimes struggle to find that time to spend with them. We say, well, family's number one, but we spend all our time at work. Those things don't match up, right? Somehow in there, we have not set our boundary stones correctly. Somewhere there has to be a predecision that we make so that we are, and we're following a plan that then gives us margin for the things that we say are important to us. If we don't do that, then just like the other resources that we have and the things that we are called to be stewards over, our time just goes. And we spend 
we spend most of our, our life looking, looking over our shoulder or looking back and going, what happened? Where did the time go? If only I had more time. So I, I don't know where you are at this weekend, but I have a hunch that there are some boundary stones you need to put in place. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's with your time. Maybe it's chronological. And again, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying, nor do I even recommend that we try to just tackle all of this and say, well, I'm going to make like 12 changes to stuff. No, don't do that. Maybe it's just one or two things that as you press in and say, God, what boundaries do I need to put in place in my life that would honor you, that would help me to slow down to catch up to where you are, that would increase my love for you and increase my love for others. I pray that God would guide and direct you and reveal to you what those boundary stones need to be or what those predecisions need to be. And I encourage you to make those decisions this morning. One last thought. I think the most important decision that we can make is to acknowledge that we have a God that loves us and sent his son for us. And by the way, he made a predecision. For the joy that was set before him, he endured suffering, he endured death, he endured the cross on our behalf. And I think that is information that in our hearts and our minds we got to contend with. We've got to do something with that. We can't just hear about it but we've got to make a decision as to what our response is going to be. And I hope that your response to that knowledge is that you would say, God, I, I accept your love and your forgiveness, and I'm going to put my full faith and trust in you. Asking that you, not my plans, but your plans, I, I, want, I, I want what you have for my life the plans and purposes that you have for me. For the God who loves us and was willing to send his son to die for us. And one last thought too. None of this can be done. I, I, well, we're going to struggle to do this kind of work in our lives on our own. We are. There's a lot of people outside of faith that try to make the same decisions, and some, sometimes they are successful. But I'm telling you, making these kinds of changes to our lives that change our heart and change our whole makeup and, and move us towards health, to do that just on your own will, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard anyway, but I'm going to tell you, we need the Holy Spirit active in our lives to empower us to give us what we don't have on our own to be able to make those changes. So I pray this morning that you would make that decision. Let's, let's pray today. God, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that, God, that you are doing new things in our hearts. You are doing new things in our lives. God, open our eyes and our minds and our hearts to understand and to believe beyond what we can see in this moment that the, the, the ways in which, God, you, 
you desire to grow us in this next year. God, we would stop staring at excuses or reasons why we cannot do certain things. And we would open our hearts to the possibilities that lie, lie ahead. That, uh, that God, that we would recognize the areas of our life that maybe aren't as healthy as they need to be. And, and, and God, we would ask you for the strength to make adjustments, to maybe to, to reestablish a boundary, maybe establish a boundary that we've never put in place for us for the purpose of growing in our love for you and our love for others, to honor you with our lives. God, if that means that we have to step back from a relationship and review that and, and reestablish it, give us the strength that can only come through your Holy Spirit to make those tough decisions, to stay with that. Help us physically, financially, spiritually. Help us with our time, God. Let us examine that in a way that, again, is not to bring us to a place where we feel uh, we feel downtrodden when we look at where we're not, but that we would get excited about the possibilities of what you would create that is new if we were simply make some different choices this year. And as we make those decisions that we move into our destiny and that God, in the end, we leave a legacy behind us that would honor you and that God would be more uh, would, be, would outlast our very lives. We love you today, God. We love you. We thank you that, God, your love for us was demonstrated on the cross. I pray, God, for anyone in this place this morning that is still contending with that information and that decision, that, Lord, I, I, I pray that they would this morning have the uh, the boldness and the courage to make the step and the decision to say, God, I'm going to put my full faith in you this year. I'm going to receive that forgiveness. I'm going to receive that grace and mercy that you have offered to me into my heart and life. And God, I'm going to ask you about what purposes and what future you have for me instead of just trying to run it myself. And then get ready for what you have in store. We love you today, Jesus. We thank you for this time in your presence. Amen.